As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, February 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to dig into some deep sleepers on the hitting side. We've got a few news items to get to, and one of those actually transitions perfectly into the topic. So sometimes life serves you up a perfect rundown, and sometimes life just pokes you in the eyes and tells you that you're stupid. That happened to me yesterday. Aaron Ashby, shoulder fatigue, you know? A player that I have on a lot of my teams, keeper league teams, redraft teams that I've done so far, I had a very aggressive approach with Ashby because I felt if he were healthy, he would take over a spot in the back of the Brewers rotation very early in the season. I didn't think it was going to take a month or two. I didn't think they were going to slow play him. Now I think they have to slow play him because even if this is a reasonably minor shoulder issue, which he dealt with shoulder inflammation last year, they're not going to just bring him off this, and have him throw five or six innings at a time. It's going to be a progressive buildup. We're going to see a lot of Wade Miley, and now it makes Ashby a very difficult player to roster in redraft leagues with no IL spots. So now I'm holding a bunch of Ashby shares. I'm nervous about it, and I don't think I can even go get more because of the way he might be broken in this season. Yeah, you know, one of the things that's really kind of annoying about pitching injury is, uh, first of all, there was like that that guy, the the, the pain guy who like did actual like I told you so's like Parodies. literal I told you so's can't be real still injured. can't be real no 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 still can't be real also kind of the like more virtual fantasy I told you so's where it's like you know well that's why I think about pitching risk when I I'm just I'm still not satisfied that we're that all that great at at, at understanding pitching risk injury risk and in pitchers I if we were so good at knowing pitcher injury risk, wouldn't we have fewer goddamn pitcher injuries by now? Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> it's like, like, if you were a team, you'd be like, and you had figured it out, you'd acquire pitchers that didn't get injured. And who does that? Who's good at that? And if a team did that, other teams would look at what they're doing and copy it and follow it and do the same thing and hire people from that organization and say, Hey, keep our pitchers healthy. Yeah. We all have an interest in this. Let's do that. Yeah. So, uh, 
I don't know. Uh, yes, I, I, I he's got uh, on Jeff Zimmerman's pitcher injury percentiles. Uh, he had some risk, a uh, little bit more uh, than you might expect, a 75th percentile risk because of uh, injury last year. Uh, maybe close to a Mackenzie Gore, who is 67th percentile, um, where there are other younger pitchers like a Reed Detmers, who's 33rd percentile. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe we should have seen it coming. I don't know. Um, it's not like you spent a ton on him and the upside is still there, but you are probably now in teams where you can drop in the first week. You might have to end up doing that depending on how things progress in the spring. It's also early, you know, maybe, maybe we'll learn some more over spring break, over spring training. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's one of those things you remember last season, uh, Luis Castillo had a shoulder issue that ended up being pretty minor. Once he came back in early May, he was fine, right? I mean, sometimes these these sort of preventative breaks or these, these intermittent breaks because of something being off during winter throwing sessions end up being nothing in the long run from a structural standpoint. That's possible. Still going to move them down because I prefer not to, to uh, draft pitchers who are currently injured. Yeah, uh, and I think <laughs> you previously on the pitching, the pitcher week preview highlighted role uncertainty being a concern you had, and now you've got role uncertainty plus uh, a recurring shoulder issue, even if it is a minor one. So, uh, unfortunately for me, yeah, Aaron Ashby behind other Brewers pitchers as pitchers and catchers get ready to report to spring training next week. A couple other pitching news items to get to, though, perhaps more fun. D.L. Hall is going to enter spring training as a starter, which is not a shock because the Orioles need starting pitching, and they haven't gone down the road nearly long enough to think about D.L. Hall's limitations with command at this point, saying, ah, he's not a starter. This is absolutely what they should be doing. The question I have for you is, do you like D.L. Hall as a late pitching dart at this point? Because it doesn't seem like he's going to go very early in drafts, ADP, just for February only for DL Hall is very, very late. We're talking about a guy that goes outside of the top 600 overall as far as his average draft position. The earliest he's gone is 369 overall. So even if you really love DL Hall, you don't have to reach that much to get him. Yeah, a little mea culpa here. I had uh, one of those things where you have to question your priors a lot and 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 sort of reevaluate players. Uh, you know, early on his location plus was really terrible, and I just put in my head that he had reliever level location plus. By the end of the season, though, uh, it was ninety eight five in the old model, and then when we retrained the data and updated the model, it was like one hundred one and a half, one hundred two. So. That's surprising. Good locations. When you see it broken down by pitch, you kind of understand it a little bit. His locations are good on the slider. They are good on the changeup, and they are very bad on the four-seam fastball. Uh, so it's still touch and go if he's a starter with 94 location plus on the four-seam fastball. Uh, that's something he's going to have to improve. The good news is season to season, uh, you know, locations aren't as sticky. He now uh, also could ramp up his slider usage, which he did locate well. He threw 140 forcing fastballs last year and 58 sliders. What if he threw 120 forcing fastballs and 78 sliders? Uh, and those 20 extra sliders got him into 
uh, 1-1 counts into, instead of 2-0 counts. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, there's a way for him to, without even improving his natural command, to just be a better starting pitcher. It's really nice to see three plus uh, stuff plus uh, pitches in there. He's already got the starters arsenal. There's pretty much wide open opportunity. The locations weren't as bad as I thought. Uh, my mea culpa here is that DL Hall should have been in the 80s in my first pitching ranks. He will be in the future. He may even creep up uh, to the top of that round, that group of sleepers. Um, he does still have to uh, leap over a few people. Right now, you've got Gibson, Irvin, Bradish, and Kramer. So he has to beat out Wells and Rodriguez, Grayson Rodriguez. But it's not like uh, Kramer and Bradish have a completely, or Wells, have a completely healthy bill of health in their past. So there's an opportunity for maybe an injury to sneak Hall in as the fifth starter. Yeah, I actually look at the Orioles too and wonder if they're a good uh, candidate to use six starters because of the way they want to preserve the workload of Grayson Rodriguez. It would also keep DL Hall closer to whatever innings cap they likely have for him it might be more like 140 something like that and it, they're not a team that has the top end guys that you'd be hurting right so they should be thinking a lot about using the depth they have to go to the six-man rotation yeah 100 percent. six-man rotation is bad if you've got you know Shohei Otani at the top of your rotation it actually hurts you because you're pitching him less than you could be you know mm-hmm. uh but if you're basically a rotation full of number threes right now I'm not saying you know calm down Grayson Rodriguez can be a number one, but like you also can't throw him a ton. And what is he in his first year, you know? So if you've got this kind of group of young guys and then the the veteran guys like Irvin and Gibson, those are threes at, at best. And, <laughs> and so you're not really hurting yourself not throwing Kyle Gibson more. So uh, I, 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 I dig that. That would be a, a nice way for me to get some value. I think I'm going to have to knock Wells down a little bit with this news too yeah wells could be more of a glue guy in 2023 than we might like even though he's flashed some interesting skills uh while stretching out a year ago for the orioles speaking of teams that could use a six-man rotation how about the a's aj puck is going to stretch out to be part of their rotation competition a lot of names there we talked about it about two weeks ago paul blackburn shintaro fujinami getting a chance to join the rotation ken waldachuk kyle muller Drew Ruchinski, Puck, J.P. Sears, Freddie Tarnak. I mean, they've got volume. So if they really want to see what this group can do, perhaps they make a lot of sense too as a team that doesn't currently have a front of the rotation starter. Now, I think the questions about Puck specifically come back to his own durability. Uh, But as far as the Arsenal goes, how does he look in the model? And do you think the Arsenal is deep enough for him to be successful in a starting role? I don't know. Uh, he does have the high stuff uh, fastball. He doesn't command. The command is a little better than uh, than DL Hall's, um, and then he has a slider that's actually below average stuff, less that he commands well. So I would say he has a pretty good uh, two pitch mix here. Uh, we I just have to put a uh, do not know an NA next to the changeup because he threw two of them to a one twelve stuff. I think that's that's. You know, stuff less is good in small samples. That's pushing it <laughs> through just two of them. Shohei Otani's uh, stuff plus on his new sinker wasn't that great after two, and then it, it was great after a while. So um, I, I I don't know. I don't know with Puck. And I would have to say that uh, the situation in Oakland is such where uh, 
if Puck is showing something, um, you know, in terms of being a starting pitcher, that might actually be bad for him. It might mean an option. Hmm. Because if they say, oh, he looks good as a starter, that's fine. They have other people in that rotation that do not have options anymore. Um, I'm thinking of James Caprellian. His options are gone. Rusinski doesn't have options because of the type of uh, contract he's, he's signed. Fujinami doesn't have options because the, well, I guess technically he does. He has options. He does. I think that would be pretty amazing. Like, wouldn't he almost be like, no, nah, sorry, I'm going back to Japan. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, actually he was up and down in Japan last year, so maybe he would take it. But Rusensky and Caprellian are in. Blackburn is in. So that's three that are in. Um, and you'd have to think that you're going to give Fujinami, you're going to be, be good to your word, which was you're going to give Fujinami a chance to start, right? So that feels like four. So now you're talking about Waldachuk, Muller, Sears, Martinez, and Puck all in the mix for five. Just want them to keep pushing younger. And at this point, I don't think that group would include AJ Puck for me. He's 27 already. He'll turn 28 in April. I mean, I know it's now or never as far as trying to give him the workload. It's the last chance maybe for him to be a full-fledged starter in the big leagues. I bet you he relieves, dude. You know, that bullpen is very bad other than Trevor May. I think the other way you have to think about it is for the pitching staff as a whole, if you're not if you're not really convinced that he's going to give you 140 or 150 innings, but you think you can get 80, you're going to need 80 from a few relievers behind some of these starters that you're breaking in. So you stretch him out, but he's actually that's only actually so you can start the season with four and five out outings. Yeah, if you can get two or three innings from Puck at a time, use him a couple times a week, that might be the best case scenario if you really aren't going to use him as a starter. I don't want any of their relievers other than Trevor May. I like Trevor May. That was a good signing. I don't really want any of their other relievers. I don't know what they're looking at. Domingo Acevedo has awful stuff plus numbers. He throws a backup slider as his best secondary pitch. I just don't think that's a long-term strategy. You, you know, you know, like a backup slider. Should I explain it? And it's like, yeah, go ahead, explain it. It's a slider that moves like a changeup, but by accident. It's a slider that has very little movement except a little bit towards the arm side. It's a cement mixer. It's it's just a spinner that doesn't move like a slider. And yes, at first people are like, I don't know what to do with this. But then it's in the scouting report. And then it's just a pitch that doesn't move much that doesn't go as hard as your fastball. Yeah, it seems like a problem. Yeah. And it worked for him in small samples at first. And I even asked him about it. And he's like, well, it's working, you know, we're going to keep doing it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and he's probably their best non-Trevor May reliever. So I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm more excited about D.L. Hall than A.J. Puck as a starter. Oh, it's not even close for me. I'm a hundred times more likely to draft Hall than Puck as of right now. I mean, maybe if we get to the end of March and they get some, give us some kind of indication that Hall's going to the minors and Puck's pitching really well stretched out, maybe that would change. But as of now, it's Hall over Puck every single time for me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, let's talk about a trade that actually inspired an episode of Rates and Barrels. That might be a slight exaggeration. We were planning on talking about Deep Sleepers. But (laughs) But this one is more of a better segue. (laughs) Perfect segue to what we want to talk about today. Will Benson gets traded by the Guardians, and he goes to the Reds, where there's a lot of playing time available. And Will Benson, that might be a familiar name because he was the 14th overall pick back in the 2016 draft. It's been a longer road than expected through the minors, but not ridiculously so. He's going to turn 25 in June, so for a guy drafted out of high school, it's not absurd. He's shown some power, he's shown some speed, but we've seen a lot of swing and miss from Benson throughout his time in the minor leagues, despite uh, a very patient approach. He walks a ton. You see some pretty big OBP numbers in the in the Fangraphs page for Will Benson. So he's tooled up. The Guardians decided they'd rather go younger. They get an outfielder back, Justin Boyd, who's not as far along, who they can just wait a little while on and won't have to deal with uh, as part of a 40-man roster crunch with a lot of young players coming up in the near future. So what do you make of Benson getting this opportunity in Cincinnati where, as a left-handed hitter, you look at their depth chart, you could pretty comfortably put him in center field and give him a large share of playing time with Nick Senzel injured again and not really showing us enough to continue sticking as a potential regular in the big leagues. There, it's he, he's almost just hurt by how many outfielders are there and how much opportunity is. You know what I mean? Like that's they've just collected like eight guys, and betting on any one of them is tough. Will Myers seems like a, an easy bet because you're going to go into the season want to want to have one veteran out there. But you could make arguments for any of the, the, the group that's in there. Stuart Fairchild is uh, not super exciting, but he might be the best defensive center fielder that's not uh, Nick Senzel or maybe Mike Siani is. But Mike Siani, I think, is fairly limited offensively. He's kind of uh, more like TJ Friedel in terms of, you know, make contact without much power. Uh, then there's TJ Friedel himself, who people are pretty excited about. A 27-year-old that did show a little bit of power for the first time, uh, but is projected for more like 10 to 12 homers. Uh, and, you know, is he a center fielder? He has been playing there. So if you have Friedel in center and you finally give up on Senzel, uh, you still have some opportunity in the corners. They've got Nick Solak there. They've got Chad Pinder there that they signed. And they've still got Jake Fraley, who's really good in terms of at least getting on base and uh, not too much else. So, um, I mean, would you rank them? How would you rank them? I mean, maybe Myers, Senzel, Fraley, Friedel, or Friedel, Fraley. So that's your four going into the season. But uh, Fairchild maybe makes the roster and Benson's in the minors and, and Benson's trying to take Fairchild's spot. 
the range with Benson is wide for the reasons that you mentioned. If he's not on the roster right away, of course, you're you're frustrated. I don't know if you're in a typical 15-team league, seven-player bench, right, NFBC-style league, you're probably not drafting Will Benson today. He's still more of a draft-and-hold sort of player. He's still more of an NL-only sort of player right now because of the crowd. To rank this group, by projection, TJ Friedel, according to the bat, actually has the best offensive projection of that group at a 103 WRC+. 14 homers, 9 steals, sub-20% K rate. That's in a 98-game projection, so if he plays more of those counting stats... But it's still a like, a, like a 101 WRC+, plus, right? Yeah, 103, but it's third. It's I think that's, third. yeah, that's third. It's third, it's behind Votto in India. <laughs> I would put Friedel, uh, if I didn't care about Senzel's feelings or uh, had moved on from him, I'd put Friedel in center and just be like, he's our center fielder. Because a 103 WRC plus in the corner is actually below average. Right. So then the problem is Jake Fraley, 97 WRC plus. Also you need to play him a in a corner. Center fielder-ish. I think I think I like Will Myers the best because there's a track record here of a guy that at least handles big league pitching well enough to not lose the job, whereas Maybe everybody else to, has been more up and down. Jimmy, try to build him up to trade him for a prospect. Right. So similar to what they did with Brandon Drury last year. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I see Will Myers fitting in. So I think Myers comes in first. I'm still fraily over Friedel. Projections be damned. I'm stubborn. I, I think I see Hilarious more in, in the tools. Close. Yeah. <laughs> it it sounds like a German nursery rhyme. Fraley and Friedel and down to the... Never mind. Yeah, there's probably some kind of like poisonous pie or something involved in this. <laughs> European fairy tales are kind of grim when you, go, when you go back and look at the originals. <laughs> They've been molded over time to not terrorize children, but yeah. the originals are That are was the rough. original intent. <laughs> yes. Solok, I think, is just the guy. I'm trying not to fall and into a Nick Solak trap. I think Fairchild is that because he's been claimed and released by a bunch of teams by now. Yep. I don't think Pinder's a priority player. I think if I'm really looking for the true deep sleeper in Cincinnati, it's it probably Spencer Steer. Oh, I think yes. he's the guy that I actually like the most. And he, he's got the worst projection of all of them. Yeah. What's wrong with me? The, the thing I'd watch uh, with Benson, if you're not taking him in a draft and hold, and, and, and if you are taking him in a draft and hold, I think it's like final roundish. You know, it's like one of the, you know, we're talking 48th round type deal. Um, and maybe if you took somebody else in Cincinnati, you could kind of pair him and be like, hopefully between these two, I got one of the outfielders. The thing I'm watching for him going forward is that strikeout rate because he had a really high strikeout rate. And then in AAA last year, he cut it to 23%. And of course, he didn't have that at the major league level but it was just 61 plate appearances so if he goes back down to the minor leagues and has another 23 percent strikeout rate i'd think he'll probably be back up in the major leagues pretty soon because they're gonna because if he could strike out even 25 percent of the time he might be the best hitter out of all these guys i'm pretty surprised by the the range of projections on benson too is looking the bat x kind of buries well, him they, they, at the they bottom always, of the group yeah, and the Vanex is like probably the most uh, negative on prospects, and Steamer's usually the most is the most bullish. So they, Steamer has him in a 108 WRC plus. I just think this is one of the more difficult questions to answer from a how much does the AAA strikeout rate matter perspective? What does that tell us about what the 2023 big league K rate is going to be for Benson? I would be very cautious about expecting 
anything close to that low mid 20s percent carry, at least initially. Maybe it takes him some time. But the thing that happens that works really well is that Benson can do everything because he can walk. He can get on base enough to use his speed. He's been an efficient base dealer in the minors. The Reds have nothing to lose by giving guys green lights. Yeah. It could be a perpetual green light for anyone that could steal bases. And, and in Steamer Cincinnati. says he can be a 108 with basically a 28% strikeout rate. So he doesn't even have to get all the way down to 25. I think that sort of makes sense to me. Yeah. But let's not uh, get too bogged down because we probably have guys that we like better on yep. our deep league sleeper list that we would take before round 49 in a draft and hold. Yes. Would you care to offer uh, one from your list? Well, uh, yes, I just finished my draft and uh, one guy that ended up on my draft and this is, I, you got to start close. The, the cutoff we have is 500, has to be after 580p on, NF, on NFBC. And uh, so I started at 500 and I'm, I'm more excited about the guys that were closer to 500. It's funny how that works. Mm, weird. Um, so here, right there at 533, uh, at least I didn't take a 501 guy, uh, at 533 is Adam Frazier. And he is not very exciting in terms of upside, but he does show up high on a uh, on a on a query that I did, and that query was looking at um, looking at people who hit uh, line drives to the pull side, lefties who hit line drives to the pull side. I defined that as over ninety. Uh, uh, miles per hour and between zero and 10 degrees launch angle. I can give anybody the, uh, the query if I, if they want it, because I have it constantly open. I don't have it open because I think I should change my first round picks with it, but I do have it open as a way to kind of peruse some later picks and say, Oh, maybe that guy will have a batting average five or 10 points higher than I expect. Adam Frazier hit the fifth most line drives to the pull side. And in fact, if you look at his depth chart, he can't really do much else. <laughs> he is a guy who doesn't have any power and just tries to uh, pepper the left side of the infield with line drives. I could see him getting a few doubles out of it, even maybe getting that ISO over 100 um, and uh, having a batting average around 275 again. He's done that in uh, one, two, three, four, four, five out of his seven seasons. Um, and so if he's back to being a guy who can hit 280 with five to seven homers, and then maybe with the steals things, maybe it's 10 to 15 stolen bases. Uh, it's kind of a fun, multi-eligible guy that adds a, a, a very rare actual multi-eligibility, which is M-I-N-O-F. I think that's pretty rare. I think you're more likely to get sort of a CI corner outfield guy. So M-I-O-F, second base outfield, kind of a cool uh, thing to have on your roster. Uh, Kind of a a cool thing, I think, for the Orioles to have on their roster as they try to get better. They do have some guys who can hit it out of the park. They do have some guys who can take walks. Here is their magic Wandu guy, the guy who just tries to get a bunch of singles. Uh, there's not really a lot of other guys on the roster. I've always talked about having lineup diversity in terms of approach and what the ki- the players can do. He will be their guy that just gets them a single when they need it. And uh, so therefore, I don't think he'll even hit eighth. Uh, I think that's a guy who can hit sixth or seventh for you. And you're hoping that he just comes up with people on base and hits one of those singles. I think he's a great mono league player. Nice for draft and hold. I don't know if Frazier will do enough 
in the counting stats overall to make an impact in mixed leagues. Could be a glue guy, though, that occasionally, if you're just desperate for a cheap pickup, contingency bid sort of player in season, might end up scratching the itch in a in a good schedule week, right? If the schedule's full and it's all righties or something, that might be a time where you stream Adam Frazier and then he ends up back on the waiver wire in some of the more like mid-range mixed leagues. Or a, di- or, uh, a daily league uh, where you've got like O'Neill Cruz and you can't play him against lefties. Uh, it would be funny to kind of put Frazier in there because he'd be the opposite of O'Neill Cruz. In fact, if you could stick Adam Frazier together, like if you could smush Adam Frazier uh, with O'Neill Cruz, you might have Alex Rodriguez. That's a pretty funny player. <laughs> just- yeah. Kind of... Kind of makes right? sense. <laughs> if you just took the best parts of each, not if you took the worst parts of each. If you took the worst parts of each, um, yeah, I don't think that's a major leaguer. That's European fairy tale vibes right there, though. Let's <laughs> yeah, smush right. O'Neill Cruz and Adam Frazier together to make an Alex Rodriguez. Like that's in my cauldron. <laughs> that's very very strange. Uh, also on that list, real quick, is G Man Choi at five ninety three. So high up on that list, he's uh, G Man Choi is a little bit lower on the list, but he's also on this list. So this one might be more of a question, but as I look at the Dodgers outfield depth, I think they have a platoon where you could be rewarded with a lot of playing time if you're right about how things play out. Trace Thompson was a nice story last year. James Outman has played really well in the upper levels of the minor leagues, just in terms of the amount of power he's shown with some speed on top of that, he's a little old for the level, of course, being 25 at AA and then finishing the year at AAA last year. Got a little taste of the big leagues, but it's a little bit like the Will Benson profile. Power, speed, patience, swing and miss. Fewer fewer, fewer strikeouts. Uh, similar some similar swing strike rates, but fewer strikeouts than uh, Benson. But always has been older for the level. That's the the key difference. Benson getting drafted out of high school, of course, you know, started as a That's teenager. That's why he's so. 40 future value. That's why, you know, the prospect lists have never really liked him. Kind of want to take a shot, though. I think this is a, a good opportunity to get a player that can do a little bit of everything. Outman pulls the ball a ton. I would be more worried about that you know, pre-shift rule changes. I think Outman ends up taking the larger share of the job, so long as the Dodgers don't have someone else who comes in and just pushes both of these guys into obvious sort of reserve roles. So uh, Thompson being a righty, Altman being a lefty, I'm chasing the big side of the platoon here. Yeah, it could happen at the trade deadline where, you know, they're doing okay, but that's an obvious place for the Dodgers to improve, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, lefty. I like the lefty. I like the power. I like the patience. I like, you know, there's even some speed in there. Uh, That's not bad. I have uh, in the past... Uh, sort of just glossed over him. Uh, I don't prefer guys who strike out a lot and a 19% swing strike rate, but that was 16 plate appearances, you know? It wasn't as high down in the minors, and it seems to be set up for for a chance there. In a similar vein, uh, although not as old, is Nolan Jones over in uh, Colorado. Um, not necessarily slated for any particular spot on the depth chart has smaller swinging strike rates than uh than than james outman uh at 24 has been about about the same as level not necessarily older than level but um not necessarily young for his levels either he could maybe benefit for a little added aggression in fact he's gotten so many high walk rates that um you know being a little bit more aggressive um might be be uh, the ticket for him to have lower strikeout rates, but 
any case, big power, really nice max EV last year, really nice barrel rate. Um, and that's how he managed to have a high BABIP as well, is just by hitting the ball so damn hard. Um, and so I like him because I also don't like the Rockies. And uh, I feel like, you know, Charlie Blackman could be a guy who uh, gets traded this year. Uh, Jonathan Daza is um, maybe a fourth outfielder for me. Randall Grichuk is also an easy trade for me. And then if Chris Bryant's uh, various injuries, uh, you know, um, act up on him, yes, they could go with Sean Bouchard. But if it's a longer term back injury or something, uh, they may try to give Nolan Jones a shot. So I think Nolan Jones is right behind that group. He doesn't maybe make opening day. But between Bryant, Bouchard, Daza, Grichuk, and Blackman, there's a lot of opportunity to be traded or uh, show your warts um, or get injured. So I think he's right there after that group. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the depth chart for what they're likely to do. One of right field or DH is soft enough where Jones can make the opening day roster, but it, it's it's not guaranteed, right? It's, it's a, a question, I guess. They traded for him for a reason, though. They went out and made a move. They traded a young infield prospect to get him. We talked about this when we were reviewing the trade. Nolan Jones is actually pretty tooled up. 100th percentile in arm strength. That would actually play pretty well in, in right field. 80th percentile in max exit velocity. 68th percentile in sprint speed. This is a guy you should absolutely be playing if you're Colorado. So I like him quite a bit. It's a, it's a guy that I, even in 15 team leagues, would be worth the kind of thing where if you're having an early draft, you draft him for your bench and then you expect in the first FAB, if he doesn't, if he's not looking like he's making the team that you're going to replace him. So, yep. you know, there's, there's that kind of opportunity. There's players like that. Uh, I think Jonathan Aranda and Kyle Manzardo are a group that are both, uh, they don't have the same skills. They're definitely different players than Jones, uh, but they're also headed towards that roster at some velocity that we don't know yet. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Yandy Diaz got an extension. Uh, that's great. Uh, I don't think Yandy Diaz's glove is going to play at third very much longer. He's slated right now for about a third of the playing time at third, where you might just give that to Paredes. If you give that to Paredes, uh, then Diaz becomes part of the first base situation. Um, Harold Ramirez is in that situation. Um, those guys are, I think... I want to. I don't want to say barely major leaguers, but like things could work out where they're just not good enough in spring, and they'd say we want Jonathan Aranda now, or we want Common Zardo now. And I think that that what um, what our man uh, Chris Welsh said on Tuesday was interesting. That Common Zardo's got a third base glove on him. Uh, Paredes has played first too. You know, has played second. Uh, it's also part of them having just be like, we want everybody to play everywhere. That's a definitely a raise thing. However, uh, it does maybe suggest that maybe they think third base is a weak spot. So that means Aranda or Manzardo uh, could be. If you're betting on Aranda, it's a little bit more of a um, contact spray power profile that you, you think maybe the batting average will be high and he'll just hit everywhere. He's like a professional hitter type, you know, 55-60 uh, on the hit tool from Fangraphs. If you're betting on Kyle Manzardo, uh, you're betting on the power. Um, and, uh, and I mean, they've got a 55-70 hit tool on him too. <laughs> Tampa likes hit tool. Um, 
So, uh, Aranda's closer if you care about uh, what order the organization is going to give their chances. But the both of those guys are uh, both kind of interesting shots in the dark where you're like, I think they're very close to playing in the major leagues this year and they're on a team where they could be useful at their positions. Yeah, it's so strange. I mean, you look at this team and Yandy Diaz by the bat X why is they, their best projected hitter. They, why did I they know. extend him at 135 WRC plus? I know. I wonder if this is a guy who has an approach that still works even with a dead ball because he doesn't lift the ball enough. He just hits yeah. the ball hard and it's like hits it all over. So it doesn't matter if the ball's dead. He's still valuable. He could still put up the same numbers he was putting up before. And like if you covered up every part of, of the thing except for walk rate and strikeout rate, you'd be like, this guy is a little bit like Mookie Betts. You'd be so excited, and you look at the slug, and you're like, "What's going on? Why, why is the slug so <laughs> why low? Why do you have a 387?" They show you a picture of Yandy. You're like, "Wait, that guy doesn't that hit guy? the ball. He doesn't hit for power. How is, is that I love possible? baseball. I love baseball. Number five thousand two hundred sixty-eight. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Gavin Lux is going to be a left-handed Yandy Diaz. Yeah. It's going to drive us crazy for the next five years." It's if, gonna if work. That arm, it's gonna... If that arm picture wasn't even AI induced, dude. Oh, you are so convinced that's not real. You, <laughs> yeah. you are as convinced that the Gavin Lux photo is doctored as I am that the pain guy was parodied the entire time. <laughs> I love the things that you believe that you can't prove. <laughs> the pain guy was parody, <laughs> or the Gavin the Gavin Lux picture is fake. <laughs> right. These are what I would term harmless conspiracies. These are these are okay. Yes, yes. Don't go looking out there for former baseball writers uh, that have sites that uh, are now conspiracy theorists. Those are those are some there's some weird stuff out there, guys. That's the bad place. The Rays, though, the Rays mess me up every single year. If you haven't picked up on this pattern, I'm always looking for value on their depth chart. I'm always looking for the next guy up or the prospect that's proven himself in the upper levels of the minor leagues, and they're all cheap. Aranda's cheap. Josh Lowe is cheap. Yes, Josh Lowe is my next name on there. Curtis Mead is cheap. 576, Aranda's 551, Manzardo 601. How can we tell? Mead is, people love him in in the prospect circles. They do. Hits the ball really hard, right? Can play a couple spots. I I understand it. I, I like all these guys for different reasons, but I cannot figure out how the Rays view them and how they prioritize them and how they're going to handle it. I was drafting Kyle Manzardo in the end of DC's last month, early January, I thought he was a great value after round 40 because I didn't think they were going to extend Yandy Diaz. I actually thought there was a good chance Benzardo was going to come up this year and he could be take this year's Vinny. He could be this year's Vinny Pasquantino. I I thought that all made sense. And now it's like, nah, you made this long-term commitment to Yandy. Now Benzardo's going to play some third base, which is good long-term, but maybe delays him a little bit. And then all these other guys, like, have we seen enough Bruhan to write him off? Have we seen enough Lowe to write him off? Like, I, I, the I one thing know. I would say about Lowe and Bruhan that is different than Manzardo, Aranda, and Mead is the obvious need on this team, the worst position on this team is center field. And if any of them can beat Jose Siri at the plate, which can't be that hard, and even do 80% of Jose Siri on defense, they can push Siri to the backup center fielder. That can't be hard. And in right field, you just got to beat Manny Margot, who I, I, I think is kind of underrated. He's a little bit like a Yandy Diaz where you're like, oh, this guy is is actually kind of league average and everything. 
Uh, but he's only league average in everything. So if jo- Josh Lowe has two opportunities uh, to get on this roster, and Vidal Bruhan is, is, I think, more dangerous as an outfielder at this point, because other than Randy Rosarena, that outfield, I'm sorry, it stinks. It's like, you know the, you know the meme with the three dragon heads? You've got like Tampa Ray starters as a real dragon head, Tampa Ray infield as a real dragon head, and then the Tampa Bay outfield is like the, the one with the googly eyes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's let's see if we can solve some of this. Brandon Lau is he still a second baseman or does he move to the outfield? Does he solve some of this problem? That's an opportunity to get Aranda or Bruhan or uh, even Manzardo in because Paredes can play second. Right, you got a bunch of guys that you can kind of sneak in at second base. I think Gandy's headed towards uh, DH. And the deal he signed, to be honest, is almost a DH type deal. Like, he signed like a $6 million a year deal. It, like, yes, they made a, a bet on him, but it was a $8 million a year deal. So I think he's their first base with DH. That's where I, I see Diaz is. And, and DH when Manzardo comes up. So I think the best... The best, like if you if you didn't care about um, anything other than upside, I would go Manzardo at first, um, Aranda just ahead of Mead because Mead you know, just because of that's the order of process. Aranda at third, uh, Paredes at second, uh, Bruhan in center, low and right. Margot is the backup. Uh, Margot and Siri is the backup outfielders, and. If that doesn't leave Harold, room for Harold Ramirez on my team, it's, it's time to go. Wait, I, I lost Brandon Lau in there. Yeah, you didn't have Lau in there? They're, God, they've got so many players, man. It's hard. It's a hard depth chart. Well, let's see if we can figure a few more things out. Curtis Mead's only played 20 games at AAA, so... And he just seems like... Like, I don't know. He just seems like... You would want to give like there is some politics in this, right? Like you kind of if Aranda has been playing well and done everything you want him to do, like you give him a chance. Like even if Bruhan doesn't have the upside, you gave the, the reason he got a chance first is because he was ahead of those other guys, right? You maybe have given uh, Bruhan enough chance. I know it's only you know two hundred plate appearances, but he hasn't played well, and you maybe given enough chance to think, okay, Bruhan's a guy that we just plug in short term. He's not part of the future. We can move on to the next one. So now you move on to Aranda, I think, ahead of Mead. So I would just say that Aranda has the next chance ahead of Mead. I think I'm I'm off Bruhan completely, even though cheap speed is fun, because even in that limited sample size, a 26.2 percent hard hit rate. Not surprisingly, a 2.3% barrel rate. He's just not going to hit the ball hard enough to be a regular. And the he has way to go to a they, bad team to play. That's that's yes. the only way I could see Bruhan trade playing fodder more. at this point. I think yep. he's trade fodder at this point, and I think uh, he the way they used him suggests that they know this as well. What do you make of the Josh Lowe usage, though? Given that center field is a need, he's hit the ball a little harder. 5.2% barrel rate last season, 37.1% hard hit rate. Same kind of thing, about 200 plate appearances. But they There's gave him up and like and gave him a job more, you know? It wasn't like Bruhan where they're like, he's up and you're like, what is he doing? And he's just playing sometimes, you know? Bruhan, like, La was like, we're, we're trying to see if you're the thing. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that the, the, the jury's out. Really nice chase rate, so he does have a sense of the plate. Yeah, I think he just has problems with certain pitches. I think it was high pitches that were his problem. 
So you kind of have something to look for. You know, you when you look at his AAA stats, you don't look, oh, 151 WRC plus, he's ready again. You're, as a team, you're looking at, well, what's he doing on high pitches? Yeah, I'm still throwing darts this late on low. I think there's a few ways for him to make value. I think the need in center field is clear enough. Even if he's not a premium defender at the position, he can play it well enough to do that. And that's where he played mostly in AAA. Right. So I think he's the the holdover that I like the most. Oh, oh so man. Right field. It's just it's so hard to get this <laughs> depth chart right. Because oh, Harold Ramirez, they might like Harold Ramirez almost as much as they like Yandy Diaz right now. And they might want to see what he can do. And it, that might matter more to them. And I think that's the part that really it, it's those variables right they just they have that depth but they also have these other types of players they bring in Paredes was one last year they traded for him I I like Paredes in Detroit I thought it was very crowded in Tampa Bay had a few draft uh, draft champions hold uh, draft and hold shares of him those came through but I didn't I didn't know how the playing time was going to shake out this time last year for Paredes I I thought he could just get completely lost in in this depth chart I don't, I don't understand. It's, sometimes I look at projections, I don't get it. For three quarters of his career, and albeit only you know seven hundred plate appearances or something, he's been below a one hundred WRC plus. Harold Ramirez, right? With okay strikeout rates, really poor patience, uh, and like a one hundred ISO. You know that's that's been Harold Ramirez at every stop other than Tampa. Then in Tampa, he has four hundred plate appearances with a three fifty BABIP, the best BABIP he's ever had. Hits 300, has a 119 WRC plus, and all of his projections say he's going to be above average going forward. What am I missing? It's the it's the league context shifting. It's the same thing as Yandy popping as much as he does. It's just coming from a lower level. And I think the other part of it is that last year, if you think about a player's career, the three seasons in which we've seen Ramirez, or it wasn't dependent on opposite field power, it wasn't dependent on a lot of things that other people had suffered more were dependent on right he just hits the ball hard on the ground around the around the infield that didn't change with the deadened ball and because everything else came down ramirez still being the same guy played up mm-hmm. i don't know if that means i want to ha- take any chances in, in deep leagues on this player but i think that's how it happens and that's why it, it, it gives us this kind of fit from a, a projection standpoint yeah maybe they maybe they just modeled what would happen? Maybe as soon as they saw the dead ball, they they modeled what would happen and who would be less problem problematic. But I think also you could just see it as Tampa Bay claimed a guy, and then we're like, oh, he's okay. If he wasn't okay, they would have moved on. Then they'll move on quickly too, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how I kind of feel about Harold Ramirez. That's how I felt about Yandy for a few years, and now we're at Yandy got extended. <laughs> Yandy so. got extended. So you, you can you can just the different phases of the same problem. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. 
This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Tell me if I'm being a homer. Bryce Terang, we talked about the surprising power. I think he came up sort of um, at the very end of our, our shortstop episodes. You're not buying the, the power at all. Are we looking at a Bruhan sort of profile where he's not going to hit the ball hard enough to hold regular playing time on a good team? Because if he, if he gets that playing time, he's shortstop eligible. He'll play a lot at second base, probably pick that up pretty quickly you know, once he's up for the season. And speed should be there. He's always had speed. Seems to hit the ball to all fields, at least. I just wonder, is is this going to work with Bryce Terang as a possible cheap source of speed at a position that if you're in a deep league and you don't address shortstop depth correctly, you will feel the pain after that pick 500 range trying to find a competent shortstop eligible player. Yes, that is true. Um, who did I end up with? I, well, I took J.P. Crawford as my second uh, shortstop just because he's going to play. Uh, and then I took David Fletcher as my third shortstop. And that's interesting to this discussion because there is a piece, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this guy twice. I'm going to name drop Ben Clements over at Fangraphs twice. He doesn't write about fantasy, uh, but uh, the stuff that he writes about is relevant to fantasy. And what Ben Clements wrote about uh, with uh, regards to Brendan Donovan was that Devi- David Fletcher was the model and Brendan Donovan was part two. And if you believe in Bryce Terang, you're thinking he's part three. The problem is David Fletcher and Brendan Donovan make a lot more contact. And that's why I can't put Bryce Turang in this group because he's had strikeout rates over 20%. He's projected for basically league average strikeout rate. And I think the only way a 100 ISO or sub 100 ISO really works in the major leagues is if you have that magic wand do stick, that sort of Adam Frazier-ish, you know, put the ball everywhere and get your singles kind of deal. Um, And I, I am supremely biased against that as in a, in a prospect, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once they didn't demonstrate a little bit in the big leagues, I might buy in a little bit. That's why I have that share of David Fletcher. Um, but Brandon Donovan is going pretty high in drafts and I'm not buying that. And so I'm much more like, I'll take a share of Frazier and, and Fletcher later. But uh, Turang is like even riskier because he's like, not doesn't he's not in the major leagues he doesn't have the job yet the, the killer here is that the scouting grades would lead you to not give up on Bruhan, who i just buried 10 minutes ago and fangrafts had a 50 present hit tool on Bruhan. i believe that was last year is when that grade was put in with a 65 future on the hit tool it's really good that's a guy that the rays are going to stick with for a long time and even if he's an up and down guy for a couple of years he will drive us crazy in the interim bryce terang they have a 45 current hit tool at Fangraphs and a that's 50 what I'm saying. future. I think that's too low. 
And then they've got the the TLDRC, Andres Jimenez. Like, okay, yeah, that sort of makes sense. And then Jimenez eventually did get to a little extra power this year in the big leagues. Right. So the 45 power on Turang is where I'm like, I think I don't believe. But if you do believe in 45 power, 45 power at this point is like a 150 ISO. Yeah, he's so he's tough, can, man. If you can get, if you think Turang can get to a 150 ISO, then then you should take him. I just, I I don't. I want to from like a fan perspective, but from a how my brain works and what I'm looking for in a player profile, <laughs> I'm not still what I'm skeptical. looking for in a minor league stats. No, <laughs> Would, it's going to be so. So too to, jarring to be. I like, never want to see a zero as the first number in an ISO. <laughs> I'm going to be so happy if I'm wrong in, from like a fan perspective, and then so angry that I'm wrong from a fantasy perspective. If this actually <laughs> if goes this, this way, work out. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, a fun tool uh, that's available over at Prospects Lives. Uh, Prospects Lives is called the Robo Score. Mm. Um, and they just basically take a bunch of the minor league stats um, and. Uh, kind of look at the context of the league and look at the context of the park and and create kind of a, a prospect ranking out of that. Um, uh, so shout out to uh, uh, Matt Thompson over at Prospect Lives who showed me it. Um, David VR uh, on the Robo Score had a ninety plus, um, and uh, that was uh, that was better than. Um, Estory Rees at AAA and and some other names that uh, that people are pretty excited about. So that was that was high up. And VR uh, does not have great batted ball uh, oomph, <laughs> as you would say in terms of uh, Barrel or Maxi V. They're both sort of just like uh, averageish, above averageish. What he does is he just hits the ball in the air a lot, and so when he does connect, it turns into a homer. Uh, that leads to a lot of strikeouts, a uh, decent amount of walks. Uh, there's some projections that say he's going to be 13% better than league average. Uh, but even the bad X that's not super high on him says he'll be league average. And the Giants right now at third are sporting Wilmer Flores, uh, Tyro Estrada, who's also maybe the starter at second. Uh, so Flores and Estrada are also basically the the primary guys at second. So if the only person that could really take VR's job from him is JD Davis, who is also on the first base. <laughs> thank, thank you, Giants. Thank, thank you, the Rays, for doing this to everybody's depth charts. <laughs> yeah, this is this is positionless depth charts. This is what we've we've evolved to. But he seems like, uh, especially if JD Davis is going to play first, and Mets fans, I think, would say that he has bricks for hands. JD Davis. I don't know. I watched him take a lot of uh, defensive uh, reps in, in San Francisco and thought he was good. Uh, my original Bricks for Hands guy was Tommy LaStella, and uh, they didn't ever really let him take uh, reps at third. So they had a lot of reps for J.D. Davis at third. That's the primary reason, uh, other than the strikeouts and the kind of meh bad ball stats. But I think there's opportunity, if there was an opportunity score, and then there's the robo score, uh, both of those are high. I want to make a, a children's book where a child named JD literally has bricks for hands, but does wonderful things. That's just thinking about those fairy C, tales from earlier. See, you know, <laughs> this can be done. Look, look what you can do with bricks for hands. <laughs> Possibilities well, are endless. Tommy Lestella had a nice career. I, I don't think it matters what 
J.D. Davis does in the field if J.D. Davis hits at the higher end of his range. This is a pretty fun position battle that I think does have some spillover value into some more shallow and even mid-sized mixed leagues. Just because someone could end up in the middle third of the Giants lineup with a large share of playing time with a good power ceiling, and that could play. And we've talked about how right-handed hitters especially I don't have as difficult of a time hitting for power at Oracle, so... I think this is a, one of the spring training job battles to watch as much as a spring training job battle can even exist. I, a general question that we should answer in a future episode is what do you really look for in spring training when you're looking at two players that seem to be competing for one playing time role? Played appearances. Yeah, just usage. I think just played appearances, but also uh, to some extent, um, there's a separation between first five inning guys and when yeah, when you play, does he leave with the veterans? I think one of the funniest things in spring training is when, like, it's like the sixth inning or something, and you just see half the team leave the dugout and just walk. Yeah, out. yeah. a gate and a opens times, and yeah. they just like, half the team <laughs> walks see, onto the bus. Oh, oh, there are all the good players I wanted to see. Now all the ninety nines are coming out on the field. <laughs> yeah, the golf golf clubs are on the bus. They're they're going yeah. golfing. So uh, yeah, a little bit of when they play in the game. Um, the Giants' uh, left-handers are um, strangely uh, deproving. What is the word? Getting worse. Uh, yeah, the opposite yeah, of improving. They, you've got Jock Peterson regressing. I mean, they're just declining. Yeah, what you've got is Jock Peterson, Mike Yastrzemski, and Brandon Crawford, and Lamont Wade Jr. Those are your lefties. And maybe Isan Diaz or Luis Gonzalez. Maybe. Oh, by the way, baseball prospectus's uh, defensive numbers uh, like Luis Gonzalez, and I would say that not many people watching the games in San Francisco did. Um, <laughs> the uh, the the Lamont Wade Jr. one is really interesting. He's a fifty percent fly ball guy. It's a little bit like VR, where it's like they don't hit the ball very hard, but they hit the ball in the air all the time. So when they do hit it hard, it's a homer, and that seems to be what they're going for. Uh, it seems so hit or miss. We've seen Lamont Wade junior just not be a major leaguer you know and we've also seen him have a 116 wrc plus uh in 2021 and um uh, so i don't know i don't know i don't know if you're a left-hander in san francisco you have a slightly better chance of making this roster and playing a big part of a platoon because they have better right-handers honestly right hanniger conforto estrada flores yeah Look, the deep, deep sleeper in San Francisco is Davis. Diaz. I, I think it's it's Isan Diaz. Here's why. I have a reason. They kept him on the 40-man throughout the entire winter. They didn't get the impact addition to the infield that they need, so they're still doing the mix-and-match thing. You need lefties and righties to do that effectively. I know that we're at the point he's going to be 27 in May. This is quad A hot spot. Like He could easily just be a quad A player. Mm-hmm. But each of the last two seasons when he's had long stays at AAA, he's been at least 30% better than league average. So Isan Diaz has played well enough at that level to justify another opportunity in the big leagues. And I know the big league line, I think so far, is 185, 275, 287 with a 27% K rate. That's about 500 plate appearances. Mm. It was with the Marlins. Tough place to hit. An organization that does not develop hitters well. I think that is a very fair they could, they could see and nice way to say it. Fix, yeah. And this is a guy that was always, even as a, a lower level prospect way, way back, I think in the Arizona system, it was, he's going to hit. 
We're not sure he's going to play, but he's going to hit. Traded a couple of times. This is fourth organization, Arizona, Milwaukee, Miami, San Francisco. Diaz is exactly the kind of player in a later 20s that the has Giants stuff to work with that, that they can find up. a way to get value out of. I just, <laughs> I think he's he's jumping off the page a little bit as a guy that has shown consistent power in the upper, upper levels lefty. of the minors. And he has experience in the upper levels playing second, third, and short. Oh my goodness, he is the perfect giant, like the missing piece of their infield. Because VR and Davis, Estrada, Flores, they're all righties. Okay, for the people who are listening who do like deep sleepers, but the starting like Autonew or something, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. it's a 12 team team league with deep benches. Are any of the because Diaz, I think, is maybe draft and hold, 20 team league, that sort of NL deal. only, yeah, NL only. Are any of the other guys that we mentioned? Uh, I think Estrada is a, a 12 teamer. Hanniger and Conforto are 12 teamers. Peterson uh, in daily leagues, maybe. Um, who else do any of those guys uh, that we've been talking about, uh, you know, in Autonew, would you like to put Flores on your bench? Would you like to put VR on your bench? Wade, JD Davis. I have, I think I have at least one Autonew team where I have JD Davis on the bench. Flores, Flores for sure. And JD Davis, I think it's also, or VR, whichever one of Davis or VR you like better. I like Davis a little better. He hits the ball harder. And he's done it for several years. I think he's had the, a wrist injury that also cost him some time last year. And that depth chart got pretty crowded for the Mets. So I, I think he's got a much better path in San Francisco to be the player, be the hitter that we hoped he could be when he showed us you know, a little bit of a, a ceiling three, four years ago now. It was 2019, I think, when we first saw J.D. Davis produce against big league pitching. You know what's a, a nicer depth chart to look at? The Nationals one. Not because it's fun to look at or because it's good. It's because it's so bad. <laughs> It's worse than the Reds. That you're like, if you if you like anybody on the Nationals, go get them. <laughs> this is a, a depth chart that only Nando DeFino could love. <laughs> Since I've got uh, I've got Stone Garrett uh, on my sleeper list on this one. Stone Garrett uh, goes six thirty five. Ben Clements again. There's the next second next name drop for Ben Clements. He has a piece on guys that uh, have good ninety fifth percentile exit velocity that have not. Uh, that have not tapped into it fully yet, um, and Stone Garrett was on that list. And the uh, and what I would say out uh, about Stone Garrett is that if in spring the strikeout rate is anything better than one out of every three at bats, uh, spring strikeout rates actually do contain some signal. And the big thing for him is to improve his strikeout rate in any way that he can. Um, and so if that's improving in the spring. He's got opportunity. He's got power. He's got speed. He could totally be 12-team worthy. Uh, he, and that is something to watch in spring. If you want to watch him, you can do it. If you want to put him on a draft and hold like I just did, you can do it. Uh, Stone Garrett is someone, I think, that went to the right place. And uh, and the Nationals are right to pick him up. Yeah, Garrett's got some tools. I like him quite a bit, too. I, I kind of wish they <laughs> kind of wish they had one fewer older outfielder I guess by that I mean I, I kind of wish Corey Dickerson hadn't been signed to be part of the mm-hmm. outfield DH mix and I kind of <laughs> wish that we knew they'd give up on Lane Thomas there's a case for Thomas but he does does so much against lefties and so little against righties that I'm I'm not that optimistic about him yeah worst case scenario is like a stone Thomas uh, platoon there because stone is righty 
Because I think Alex Call is also interesting. I think he's the other guy. I like Garrett and Call. I just don't know how they're both going to play if everyone's still there. We need transactions. 28-year-old we need they movement. picked up on, on waivers, huh? Yeah. Victor Robles is only 25. I'm not drafting him. <laughs> okay, good. Thanks. I was like, is that a... It's, just, it's a Victor Robles fact. It's just a fact. Do you want to uh, run through some more here or what? Yeah, we got a few more. Dominic Smith, I, I do like him as someone on this depth chart. It's only a $2 million deal, though, so if they don't like what they see, he is quickly a part-time player, but I do think the not, slight bump up in park is a good thing for him. Not too much that is his calling card except for one great year with the barrel rate. Otherwise, it's been poor barrel rates, poor max EVs, decent strikeout rates, okay walk rates. It's, um, it leaves me a little bit cold as a first baseman across the line. Um uh, then you've got uh, you've got some interesting veterans that um, you think they're a little bit too low for me. Aaron Hicks at six sixty eight and David Peralta at six ninety eight. David Peralta doesn't have a job yet, um, so I guess I can understand that he might jump up if he gets the right opportunity somewhere. Um, Aaron Hicks is also thirty three and uh, been a below average hitter for two seasons. Uh, however, he's projected for near average and he still has some speed. And I don't know, man. Uh, it, it, the deeper the league is, the more I'm like, yo, I think Aaron Hicks is like the starter in left field. He at least gets the first opportunity at the job again. I know major injuries have been a part of his recent past, and it's part of why I think he's cratered as much as he has. We've seen a very good Aaron Hicks in the not-so-distant past. Right, You look at the per-game numbers going back 2018 and 2019. Missed a lot of time in 2019, so that's what kind of brought everything down for him there. It, it's kind of a question of what they do with the spillover prospects. Right, mm-hmm. We talked about Peraza. We talked about Cabrera and w- what those two guys might do. If Volpe's the shortstop, do you see Cabrera in left field? Is Cabrera the biggest threat to Hicks? Is there someone else that could come in? But I think with... But they all have options, you know? So, like, you can kind of be a little bit up and downy with them, you know? Three years left on that deal. They right. They can't Hicks. quite give up on Aaron Hicks yet. I think that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Hicks is a starter, and, like, Cabrera and Peraza and Volpe, they're just, you know, they're like, okay, which one of you is good enough uh, to play every day and stay up here? Which one of you is good enough to be the uh, utility guy? And which one of you is struggling? Sorry, you're going back down. Aaron Hicks is batting averages. Wow. I mean, like, look at... Go back even to 2019, 235, 225, 194, 216. Brutal. Yeah, and it's weird because it's always come with an okay strikeout rate, too. Yeah. It's, I, I think he's like overly passive a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, that that would be the best explanation I'd have. I, I have no idea. I think you're right. I think for, for draft and holds, for AL onlys, he's way too cheap for the likelihood that he's going to get a lot of playing time in a good park, in a good lineup. Could actually be a double digit homers and steals guy two-thirds of a season's worth of plate appearances. It's hard to find other players who are going to do that in a lineup that good at that right. point in the draft. Yeah. I, I It's a little bit weird. Uh, and then that Trevor Larnock uh, looks like he might be headed towards... Maybe maybe those ADP numbers are changing for Trevor Larnock because uh, after the Luis Arise trade, like mm-hmm. uh, you would assume that people would look at this uh, Twins depth chart and just say, oh, yeah, Larnock is probably the DH. I think At so. Least against I, lefties, I think it's I mean, either Larnock. There's there's two 
this is a kind of another job battle. It's not a direct job battle where I'd say if Nick Gordon is a priority as an everyday player, people move around, they float the DH. If Larnock is mashing, Larnock's the DH and Gordon's a little bit more of a, a super sub than an everyday guy. So, which they, I think they have, they, I think they need a super sub. I mean, it could be Kyle Farmer otherwise. Um, but uh, you could have two super subs on this team, I think. What about uh, Edouard Julien? You like him? It's a, it's a longer road to a playing t- to to some playing time. Yeah, he's a really interesting player because they put him into the Arizona Fall League home run derby, and um, and everyone was like sort of surprised because you know he's a one ninety ISO guy that had seventeen homers this year at Double A. It's not normally who you'd think of as the, the guy you stick into the home run derby. And part and what was very interesting about it was the scouts were kind of grumbling about having a home run derby in the AFL. It was the first year they ever did it. Because the the whole AFL is like mostly for scouts. Like there's there's like usually at a given AFL game, there's like twenty scouts and like fifty fans. <laughs> so it's like you know normally you think uh, do what the scouts say because it's mostly a scouting league. Uh, <laughs> but that's a good cry on for anybody watching on on YouTube. But uh, the scouts were grumbling like, what am I supposed to do at a at a home run derby? But a couple that I talked to uh, had some interesting things to say that you could actually see what their a swing was in a home run derby, right? You can see where they, where they want to hit the ball. And what was interesting about Julian is he was the only one who was trying to go oppo. So he didn't win that day. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, Oh, you know who I forget who won. It was either Andy Pajes or um, I think he did pretty well, but also there was like a, a guy who looked like he was uh, 35 and he was like 23. That was like a, a DH in the Arizona uh, system. And one scout said that guy can't play baseball, <laughs> but he can hit. That the, I think that guy won. Anyway, um, Eduardo Hillian uh, did not win, and he went oppo. So I, what I see here is a guy who has uh, all fields power, a really nice plate discipline, uh, really low swing strike rates. Um, he could maybe benefit from a little aggression, getting the bat hat out in front and hitting some more homers, and uh, maybe taking advantage of that that really good hit tool. But I see. I saw a really good hit tool. I see a guy who can play second. I I know he has a 30-40 hit tool on Fangraphs, but I just don't see that with swinging strike rates around seven and eight percent. So uh, I think I'm I'm pretty excited about him, and um, I think long term uh, the the Twins are not dedicated necessarily to Jorge Polanco. He's got one more club option after this year. And uh, so Julian could start to bubble up to the top. I don't know if he'll necessarily steal a job unless Buxton's hurt, Gordon's playing center, and they need another super sub. Is Leandro Cedeno the player that won the, the home run derby in the fall league? He led the Diamondbacks uh, minor leaguers in home runs last season. 32 homers. Uh, I guess it could be him. Yeah. He's, anyway. he, was, he, was, he was wild looking as a person. I mean, just uh, just jacked. Like looks thirty five in the face. It's hmm. <laughs> great. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess that could be a, a helpful thing for a person. I, I don't really know. <laughs> the other, other late. Oh, bats. Robert Perez Jr. won. Robert Perez Jr. He might actually be the Mariners guy. Oh, okay. Either way. Oh, Russia's calling me. Good. I'm sure, it's a, a serious call. That's important. Oh, let me see. I want. I, I I need to figure this out real quick. Uh, Davison de los Santos. 
Oh, really? There are people that think he's not going to be a... Their scouts think he's not going to be a big leaguer? Well, they were pointing out they just didn't think he had a position mostly, but also just that like he didn't make good decisions on the on the diamond on the on the field and didn't look like a baseball player. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> it was one of the harsher things I heard a scout say, but scouts can scouts can be like that. As the cryon said, scouts were grumbling that day, my friend. <laughs> the long day. Like those chairs, they're uncomfortable. They watch a lot of bad baseball to see the things they need to see. I understand how they can become a little frustrated, especially at the end. The end of fall league. Late fall league is like the end of the year for them. They're almost done. We shouldn't uh, we shouldn't go too long on this one. I think there's two outfield situations uh, that you could maybe pick a winner on uh, de- uh, late. The Texas outfield I think has a soft spot in the outfield, and the Houston Astros uh, depth chart has a soft spot in the outfield. Uh, in Texas, I think you uh, I'm I'm saying Bubba Thompson is is more of a backup guy, and uh, that's where I think there's some opportunity. Uh, on the on the Rangers squad, um, I like Dustin Harris a lot, and I think that's the one that I would bet on because um, I think Evan Carter, who is a little bit more um, the prospect, the prospect has more prospect pedigree, um, is uh, the future center fielder. So I think for Evan Carter to to come up, uh, Leody Tavares and Adolis Garcia have to both show that they can't be everyday third uh, center fielders for Dustin Harris to come up. You're asking Josh Smith to look more like a utility guy, which is totally possible. And Bubba Thompson to look like a backup outfielder, which I think is probable. Uh, Maybe you're also asking for Brad Miller to, to fall apart, but that might also be probable. So there it's, it's not the softest spot in the world, but I, I think there is an opportunity there for Dustin Harris in Houston. I think you're looking at, uh, the outfield uh, through the lens of you know how often can uh, Michael Brantley play the outfield and if he can't play the outfield your backup outfielders right now are Jake Myers and uh, Mauricio Dubon Chas McCormick is not the most amazing player so Myers could take that job or someone we didn't know before we started prepping for the shore Corey Jolks uh, yeah. who had 31 homers and 22 steals last year in uh, in AAA, uh, could be poised uh, to to prove their player development system right. So just wanted to throw some names out there. I'm sure you got a couple more, but we don't want to get this too long. Yeah, pod's running long again. I think Matt Veerling, where he goes, actually makes some sense. Tigers are going to play him a lot. They traded for him for a reason. Pits the ball hard, runs a little bit, does a few things well. So I'd keep him filed away as a good Draft and hold, AL only sort of name. Keep an eye on them for watch lists for deeper mixed leagues too, just in case that playing time ends up being at the the higher end. If it's more than an 80% share, he could actually become 15-team relevant pretty quickly. You've mentioned Connor Capel a few times. I just figured we should throw his name oh, yeah. back out there again. I think he could just win that job. He could just play a lot in Oakland, does a lot of things well. I know I fell into the Kevin Smith trap a year ago. I don't know, I don't know if this is uh, completely different. But at the same time, I think there's a little more consistency level to level throughout the minors. Kevin Smith really was like a big uh, AAA guy for one year that popped up again. Capel's and, always made contact and had sneaky yeah. power. So, Yeah, so I think that's where, where Capel's pretty interesting. Will Brennan actually is more interesting to me now with Benson gone because it's just one fewer big league ready outfielder to, to 
push away for playing time. And I think with Brennan, he's also a lefty like Will Benson. So that made it even more difficult for both of those mm-hmm. guys to be on the roster at the same time in Cleveland. So I would say Will Brennan gets a little bit of a bump as a result of that trade the Guardians made on Wednesday. I also feel like uh, I know they extended Miles Straw, um, but uh, they didn't pay him a ton. Five-year, $25 million could still be a fourth outfielder if they decide. I think last year's 64 WRC plus is kind of tough to run out there every day. Um, and if you kind of make him more the defensive uh, sub and the, you know, the guy who plays in certain situations, I think you could probably make Steven Kwan the center fielder, which would open up uh, an outfield position for Will Brennan or George Valera to come up. So there, I think there is a little bit of a soft spot there in that uh, outfield as well. They're going to bring Cleveland has to bring up so many prospects this year. They're that's they're why they've been trading away don't. guys. Yeah, that's why they trade away Benson. That's why they trade away Jones is because they they're a classic team that kind of hoards their prospects and then gets into forty man trouble. Yep, and you gotta gotta get out of that to make room for those forty man players that are going to be added uh, as you bring them up. So. Hopefully, that gives you a good group of names to think about late for very, very deep leagues. We, of course, will do this on the pitching side on a future episode as well, so be sure to tune in for that. I wanted to mention something real quick, uh, is that, uh, and I might mention this again on the Prospects episode, for those that only tune on the Prospects episode, this is a prospect thing. We were talking about how Baseball America ranks by uh, ranks the international market by... Uh, just by dollar signs. And I thought that was a little bit ugly, but um, I didn't mean to insinuate that Baseball America hadn't thought this through or uh, that what they were doing is necessarily ugly. It's it's just an outgrowth of the situation, which is that these deals are being made with 16, 14-year-olds. Um, and once the deal is made, and this is something that Baseball America has been very transparent about, once the deal is made, you don't get to actually scout them that much anymore. They start just playing with their buscones, their their trainers, and even if you get to the island and want to see them, the most you'll see is maybe a few grounders or something. You're not going to see that guy because he's been he's been promised away, and that's why everybody knows. Oh yeah, that guy's going to be a Yankee in two years or whatever, like because it's an open secret, and it and it sucks, but it makes it also impossible to scout. So now you have to you have to rank them somehow. And so Baseball America said, as much as it pains them, uh, they this is the best way that they can do it because they they can't even get eyes on these guys anymore. And that's a decision Ben Badler and 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 Baseball America made in 2019. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to suggest that they. This is just because the whole situation is kind of ugly. This is a, a sort of necess, necessary evil that's come out of it, and it's not Baseball America's fault. It's it's more. And and I don't, and I'm not saying that I necessarily think that there should have an international draft. It's just because of the way things are right now, these are these sort of periphery things that happen that are not great. Yeah. I, yeah. Industry wide. It's not, yeah, I think good, good call to bring that up because baseball America does excellent work. I, I think it's just the, even the ways we discuss players, the values and bonuses and salaries in general, it, it feels gross. Yeah. I'm sure some of the stuff we said today, you know, like we're talking about people's salaries and whether or not their teams are committed to them and how like, how likely they are <clears throat> to fall off the depth chart. That's not uh, fun for players to, to hear about their human beings. So, uh, you know, this, uh, that, that part is, uh, is not the greatest part of our industry, but, um, you know, it's, uh, we're trying to help people play a game and you know, that's, that's the type of advice they need. 
Probably a time to wrap it up, though, because I just got the same Russian spam bot call that you got 10 minutes ago. So it means we've been <laughs> recording for a long time. So if you don't have a subscription, you can get one for $2 a month. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels will bring you to that offer. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.